Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. I'm more than thrilled because this is a lot of what I've been working on over the last few months is really trying to create a tier system for these 2021 NBA draft prospects that I'm comfortable with, something that I'm confident in, and something that I want to share with the masses and get it out there. So this is part one of a three-part podcast series regarding the draft tiers. So this podcast is going to be about prospects I have labeled as Tier 1 through Tier 3. The next podcast will be Tiers 4 and 5, and the next podcast after that will be Tiers 6 and 7. So here's essentially how I'm breaking everything down. So these top-tier guys, Tiers 1 through 3, there's 21 prospects that I'm going to talk about on the podcast today. So these are guys that are automatic lock, first round grades. Some of them are automatic lock, lottery level grades. And I'm going to break down exactly what I mean by what the tier numbers are. And then we're going to go through, I'm going to share some thoughts about each prospect, go through some of their numbers, give a general thought as to why I think they belong in that tier. And I'm going to do that with the other podcasts as well. Um, it's just that these guys here, tiers one through three, there's going to be a little more said about them than some of the other guys that we get to later on. Some of the borderline first round, second round grades, the the second round grade locks. And then obviously tier six and seven, that third podcast is going to be more about undrafted type targets for, for these teams. Now, we're going to be releasing this podcast definitely before the July 9th. Um, deadline for prospects to declare fully whether they're in or out of the draft. We've already had some names come out of the draft. Some guys like Colin Castleton, Julian Champagny have already said that they're going back to school. So that's why I, I was originally going to record all of these podcasts in one shot, but we're going to do tiers one through three first because I'm pretty confident that all these guys are definitely going to be on the boards come draft night. So with that being said, I want to get into this. So tiers one, two, and three. Like I said, these are lock first round grades. Some of them are lock lottery level grades. Tier one, these are MVP caliber guys that I envision down the road. So when I say that, I quite literally mean I think that one day these two guys could both win an MVP award. Now, this is a prestigious tier. Sometimes in some drafts, as we all know, there aren't any guys in this tier. This is a very, very, very special tier to be in. Think like Zion Williamson, think like Anthony Davis, that, that type of prospect. And it's funny because I hear this narrative that the majority of national media don't want to put that kind of label in this draft class, right? They don't want to say that any of these guys could be like a slam dunk number one pick with like a Zion or Anthony Davis, but I disagree. I think that both of these guys here are both that level of prospect. And I think that in time, just given what they're already doing at their age now, the room for growth is exponential, which makes their potential, their highest level ceiling, their highest possible outcome off the charts of some of those guys. Now, do I think that both of these players are necessarily going to be as good or above like an Anthony Davis, like a Zion, like a Luca, like, no, I'm not necessarily saying that, but I think that when you look at possible outcomes, there is definitely a, a universe that exists where these guys are both MVP 
type talents they both could potentially win an MVP award and they cement themselves in that that level when we're talking about them as prospects. So first and foremost, Kate Cunningham. Obvious, right? Wing prospect out of Oklahoma State, 6'8", 220. Scored 20 points per game as a freshman. Um, and, and some of these metrics actually have like a whole master spreadsheet that I've put together um, with a lot of different statistical categories that I look at heavily when I'm evaluating prospects. And I'll mix in some thoughts on tape here as well. But when you just look at the guys in these first three tiers, tiers one through three, there were only two prospects in these tiers. One I'll talk about later that averaged 20 points per game throughout this whole collegiate year. So Cade Cunningham was obviously one of those guys, 20 points, six rebounds, three and a half assists per game. Shot almost 44% for the field. 40% from three was definitely a number that I wanted to highlight as well as almost 85% from the free throw line. So this guy can shoot the shit out of the ball. Um, that was a major question mark coming in, especially the three-point shooting as well as some of his creation and isolation sets. He, he answered a lot of those questions this year, even in big moments, which I was really impressed with was in the 87th percentile overall in isolation, um, the 62nd percentile scoring out of pick and roll sets as a ball handler. So obviously that's something he's comfortable doing was in the 75th percentile in spot up 67th percentile, um, 70, 75th percentile in post ups, excuse me, 67th percentile in spot up 64th off screens. Um, so clearly he has a very diverse offensive attack. He can pass out of those sets he has extraordinary vision for a 6'8 wing, and then he ranked in the 66th percentile overall in jumpers, 82nd percentile finishing around the basket, shot 62% finishing around the basket, and even rated out really well in catch and shoots. He was in the 90th percentile overall in the country in catch and shoot shots, shooting almost 44% on those looks, um, and then in the 65th percentile shooting off the dribble as well. So... Kate has a lot of strengths. We, we knew coming in that he was going to be the lead ball handler for that Oklahoma State group. That's what he was in Montverde back in high school. He was a, a lead primary ball handler and initiator. He wasn't exactly off the charts passing the basketball in college. There's a few different factors that you can argue that kind of go into that. His teammates weren't exactly the best at finishing those shots all the time. Um, he, he definitely got thrown off a little bit when defenses sort of mixed what they were doing against him. He had to learn how to adjust his game to match defenses, just switching what they were doing, who was guarding him at different points in the game. He got a lot more comfortable with that as the year went on, which was, which was good to see. But when you're looking at Cade Cunningham's vision and you're trying to evaluate how good of a passer he is, what he can do at the next level you were, that's something you have to go back and really watch the tape on. And when you go back and, and look at some of the film, some of the passes that he makes at different angles, some of the no-look stuff he does when he's whipping passes cross-court, like this is stuff that you see from some of the best passers in the league. And some of these looks, you can say, all right, well, if he's able to do this in the NBA, like he's a top 10 passer in the league, like there's, there's no question about it. Like he is going to be that special of an initiator at time in the NBA, but when you also factor in his scoring package and the fact that he can essentially score at all three levels, really the only thing I've marked that he's missing in his scoring repertoire, not necessarily that he has to get better on because he can improve in all facets of his game, but he doesn't have like that little short touch floater shot necessarily that we'd really like 
guards or, or wings to have in the NBA nowadays. He was in the 16th percentile on what Synergy categorizes as a short shot, shooting 27% on those looks. So that's something he definitely has to get better at. But um, really, that to me is the only true part of his game that's quote-unquote missing. Everything else that you're going to look for him to do, he's going to be able to do it at an NBA level coming in from day one. And I think that's what makes him so special is when I look at evaluating talent, I look at do they have one or two skills that they can come in and contribute to right away in the NBA. And Cade has a lot that that he can do from, from day one. And that's why I think you have to take him seriously as a number one overall pick. He doesn't have elite athleticism he's a very good athlete um he definitely has a start and stop game that he can mix in he has a uh, has a good to very good handle his handle isn't elite yet either but other than you know you are you're either an elite athlete when you're coming into the nba or not like your athleticism can improve slightly but it, it generally doesn't improve significantly when you get to that level so but some of the other things like the handle, again, some of the shooting that I pointed out, like those are things he's going to get better at. Like the kid's only 19 years old. So I value him really highly in this draft. I do think that he is the number one overall pick. I've landed there. I don't slight anybody for taking the other guy that I have in this top tier. Um, number one, if they want to have a number one on the board, I'm not going to slight them for it. But Cade is my guy. Cade wasn't initially my guy. I had that number one pick kind of wide open preseason and even at many different times throughout the year I wanted to leave it open because I wanted K to keep showing me what he was capable of from a shot making perspective and he answered all my questions he wasn't a slam dunk number one for me but he is now the other guy I have in that top tier is Jalen Green um, and and some people listening to this podcast are going to be surprised if you're grouping somebody in with Cade or you're looking at a tier that's kind of like in between Cade and, and some of the other guys that we can talk about, including Jalen Green. Why isn't Evan Mobley a part of that top tier? And I'll get into Evan Mobley in a second because he's probably the leader in the clubhouse for that that second tier that I have blocked off. But Jalen Green is the other guy to me that deserves to be in an MVP level tier. Uh, he played for the G League Ignite, so I don't have as many quote-unquote advanced synergy stats that I can dig into. For him, I don't have access to any kind of numbers like that. But just looking at some of the counting numbers, he did play 32 minutes a game for that G League Ignite team. He averaged almost 18 points per game. The shooting numbers I did want to highlight because he aver he shot 46% from the field, 36.5% from three, and almost 83% from the free throw line. So that's about as good of a shooting line as you can ask for for, for a wing his age playing against um, borderline NBA level competition. I would consider the the season that the G League Knight played. I do. I consider it a step up from the competition that Jalen would have potentially faced in college. So understanding that the fact that he still had that level of production really impresses me. Obviously, everything you hear off the court, uh, Brian Shaw made a spectacular case for him um, for somebody who's going to work his tail off who's going to work as hard as he possibly can. He's a great teammate. He wants to work well with others. Also learn from everyone who has experience above him. That's also huge. Wanting to be coached, that's a great sign of leadership right there. So I value that very highly. Um, but in terms of breaking down his game overall, he's a shot maker. He's one of the best shot makers in this class. He is somebody that really can score from, from all three levels. He's 6'5". He, we don't have his exact weight. I don't have 
his weight where he is at now, but he was listed at 180 pounds previously. Obviously, he has a skinny frame, but he has that like that wiry strength to him. Um, I, I like using that sometimes with some of these thinner guys who don't have a lot of bulk to him, but you know that they're not going to be pushed around. And, and Coach Shaw even used that when he was on Chad Sports. Uh, podcast he used that word wiry and it and it's apt because he doesn't let anybody push him around or get the best of him he competes he finishes inside when he has to um and then his bag he has one of the deeper creation bags out of anybody in this class in terms of scoring off the dribble his mid-range attack you even saw him take a few guys into the post during the g-league season and finish some turnaround jumpers like his advanced repertoire and the fact that he was really starting to to stretch that out be a better catch and shoot three-point guy someone who can create three-point shots off the dribble I mean what really doesn't he have in his bag at this point from a scoring perspective I want to see him definitely develop a better uh, runner or floater he does need to fully add that to his game but everything else I think he checks all the boxes from a playmaking perspective yeah, he, he averaged 2.8 assists per game. I wouldn't say he has elite vision by any means. I think he makes good decisions with the basketball, and he proved that later on in the season. Um, he definitely made better decisions getting other people involved versus when he first started in, the, in that G League Ignite bubble. He, he definitely looked to hunt for his shot more than necessarily make the right basketball play, but I saw a much better balance of that as the season went on, and I take that into account as well. Can you create for yourself, but can you also make the right decision to help somebody else succeed on your team? And I think he is willing to do it. I just think he wanted to showcase really at the beginning, like any other young player would, especially when they're not playing for like a top college program that you're seeing on national TV, like like for 15 or 20 games during the season is what can I do? What kind of value can I individually bring to your team if you draft me? He showed that. And then he really started showing that he can be a better basketball player overall, not necessarily just a scorer. So his his development, his maturation from the start of their bubble run to the end when he ended up scoring, even though they, they got beaten handily by Raptors 905 in that playoff game that they were actually able to get into. The fact that Jalen Green was one of the two guys, along with some of those other vets, of course, but one of the two guys along with Jonathan Kuminga, who we'll talk about, they were able to get into the playoffs, and then he showed out in that game. He had 30 points in that game, so it's not like this guy's afraid of the moment. He's a big-time talent, big-time player, and when you look at guys in that mold, guys who can score like that, you're thinking about somebody like a, like a Kobe Bryant especially when you factor in a lot of the off-the-court stuff. And I don't think mentioning Kobe Bryant's name with Jalen Green is blasphemous at all. They, they have really similar games. They were, they were floaty-type athletes, ec- excellent athletes. Um, Jalen might even be a, a little bit better athletically than Kobe was, even at a young age. So that definitely factors into it. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's the type of name, like a, like a Kobe Bryant, like Shades of Tracy Grady. Like those are some of the names over him. And have to have that guy in a top MVP level tier because that's what those guys were at their peaks. They were MVP caliber players. And the same thing with Cade Cunningham. Like everybody wants to look for a comparison for him. And it's it's like he has shades of different guys. He has shades of Luka Doncic in terms of being this big playmaker with with vision. He doesn't have the same vision as Luka Doncic. I don't think he's that level of a passer, but he's not that far behind. Um, he has shades of Jason Tatum and some of his pull-up scoring, some of his isolation scoring, his ability to hit 
step back threes late in games in, in clutch situations. And the name I think is most apt for Cade is Grant Hill. He just he just doesn't have the same hops and and explosiveness that that Grant Hill did. I think when a lot of people use that name, they forget about how elite of an athlete Grant Hill was during some of his peak run before a lot of the injuries took their toll. So again, those two players, those MVP caliber talents we're using some really big names with them but i think that's okay especially when we're trying to throw out like shades of like who does he remind you of none of the comps that we can come up with at any point during this process are one-to-one comps each player is their own different player and i'm not taking anything away from any of these greats i think by using some of their names when we're talking about some of these prospects because those are the guys that these guys are all watching Right, like all these young prospects are studying some of the greats and some of the best players of the game today, trying to add some of those pieces to their game. So when we just use a comp as a reminder tool, I think that fits for those guys. So that's really why I have those guys in their own separate tier. Tier two, I would say, are not MVP caliber guys, but I do think they're max contract level guys, right? Like, like I think all four of these guys in general, these are gonna be the guys who I see for sure. Um, getting max contract level extensions after their rookie their, their their rookie contracts are up. So we'll start tier two. Evan Mobley, um, truly an an analytics darling. Uh, the the numbers absolutely love Evan Mobley. So he played almost 34 minutes a game for USC. 16 points, 8.7 rebounds a game, 2.4 assists per game, shooting 58% from the field, 30% from three, and 69% from the free throw line. 2.9 blocks. That's a great number because people wanted to say that he wasn't like a quote-unquote elite shot blocker. Um, Somebody like Ryan Rosillo came out and said that on his podcast. They didn't think that Mobley was an elite shot blocker. 2.9 blocks is a lot. Um, And and when you look at some of the other guys on this list, the only other guy to average over two blocks um, in these tiers that we're talking about is Isaiah Jackson. He was at 2.6 blocks per game. But when you look at how Mobley blocked those shots, it's really – his perimeter defense that surprises some. Obviously, he can come over from the weak side and, and, and swat a shot away from the rim. He's seven feet tall. He has the length to him, the proper wingspan. But it's really also his ability to, to rove around the perimeter and block like three-point shots or like mid-range shots. Uh, and, and sometimes he makes it look really easy. So when you have a guy who can block shots from like all three levels on the floor, I don't think enough people realize how special and how unique that is. That's insane that he has that level of footwork, that level of lateral mobility to stay with smaller guys and then block their shots from virtually anywhere on the floor. That's special stuff. Um, so that's why I definitely highlighted that, Mark. He has the one of the highest player efficiency ratings on this list at 29.1 and a 62.4 true shooting percentage coming in also in the 91st percentile in total offense in the country. So clearly an analytics darling. But when you dive a little bit deeper into those synergy numbers, you see why he makes such a special case. So he was in the 72nd percentile in isolations, the 85th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. So scoring out of pick-and-roll sets as a ball handler. Think about that. How many guys in the NBA do we have who are considered bigs of some sort? who run inverted pick and rolls like that and they can score so effectively out of those looks and also um, potentially pass out of those sets as well. 
that is incredibly unique. And I'll get more into his perimeter oriented skill set as we go a little bit deeper into the numbers. Um, he was in the 94th percentile shooting off screens. That's also absurd for somebody his size, 85th percentile on putback. So, you know, he's at least trying to go to the glass and attack on that end of the floor, 81st percentile in transition scoring. So he's also running the floor as a big man, giving all the effort that, that that's needed right there. 61st percentile on jumpers, 92nd percentile on runners and 90th percentile around the basket. So again, doesn't necessarily have a weakness when we factor in a lot of the perimeter oriented numbers. Now, where does some of his case fall flat? Well, he's, he's not the best defensively around the basket. Um, he's not necessarily a really good pick and roll finisher. He struggles with a lot of those interior scoring aspects. Um, he was listed at seven feet tall. I don't have updated weight for him, but the, the best weight I could find for him was 210 pounds. So he's not exactly built thick like your typical center would be. Um, so if you're drafting him, I think you're looking at him more. I actually have him labeled as a forward. I think you're looking at him more as a foreman. And I've heard some people make the argument that he kind of plays like a big wing because he has that perimeter-oriented skill set. And, and I really agree with that. I think that in time, who knows, he could end up playing like, like a three-spot, three being like perimeter-exclusive, not necessarily being your, your general big man or the center prospect that you might want to project him out as because of his size and length. He just doesn't play like that. Virtually everything he's doing is from the perimeter. Now he can handle the ball really well for somebody his size. He can create shots off the dribble. He can create looks for others from the perimeter. And that's really why he's this highly valued prospects. The numbers scream, yes, he should be valued as an MVP caliber talent. There are certain parts to his game that are just unique for someone his size. I want to say this part very carefully because I've said this on social media multiple times. I think when you hear things like this, there are other questions that come into play that, that are uncomfortable conversations to have. I don't question his love for the game. I don't question his work ethic. I don't question necessarily how hard he plays in different settings on the floor, but I do question if he has that killer instinct in him to take over a game like you would expect a number one or a number two overall pick to do. Like there were times at USC when he wasn't nearly as aggressive calling for the ball or looking for the ball late in games, shot hunting as he should have been. Um, certainly a lot of that shot making fell to lesser talented players on that team for, for better or worse. You wanted to see Evan Mobley create more in those situations than kind of just be a bystander of what the offense was doing. Because if he was hunting for those shots all the time, if he did prove that not, not that he doesn't have the skill to be a first or a second option, but if he had more of the mindset to always be looking to be in that conversation as a first or a second option, given everything that he can do defensively, being a very switchable perimeter level big, can be one of a few guys, I think, in this draft class who can guard one through five in time. And again, I don't use that phrase lightly. That is a very, very, very rare thing to be able to do. People do not understand how hard that is to 
actually be able to guard positions one through five or have that level of defensive ability. But when you factor that in along with an offensive skill set that says he can be a number one or number two, if he just had the more of more of the 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 drive or the willingness, willingness is definitely a better word to use there to be that guy more often than not. I think he would be in the conversation for the number one overall pick more so than, than I think he is. I would be very comfortable taking him at three. There's an argument to take him at two, and I don't fault anybody for saying they want to take Evan Mobley with the second overall pick. I really don't. But that's really the biggest question mark I have about him is he's a supremely talented player on both ends with a unique skill set for his size. But how good of a player is he going to become? If he lives up to his potential, it's really scary what he could be. I, I I echoed for a while that he should be on the Anthony Davis developmental plan. Like I would just show Mobley Anthony Davis tape all the time, point out some of the strength that Anthony developed through the course of his NBA career. Obviously, you got to work with him in, in the weight room, strength and conditioning, all that fun stuff. But that's really the same for, for any young player. So I don't like to really necessarily harp on any of that. But... Yeah, if you show if you show Evan how Anthony Davis was able to develop more of a back to the basket game, be a lot more comfortable scoring out of the post, some of the stuff that he's able to do as a role man, um, that I definitely think Evan can do in time. And then how Anthony Davis became more of an assertive player, calling for the ball, being a lot more comfortable in his offensive skill set later in his career. I think if you get Evan thinking about those things quicker than not, it's only going to help him moving forward. And then he moves into that upper tier of of echelon type player that mvp caliber player because obviously anthony davis is an mvp caliber player so that's really what i want to see from from evan and i'm rooting for him to get there because the more talented seven footers that we get in the league like evan i think i think the better the league is overall because you're just showcasing more skill and and when you're building out a team you're covering more bases if you have a player like Evan Mobley, as long as he's playing up to his potential. So the second guy that I have in tier two is Jalen Suggs. And a lot of people have questions about Jalen Suggs that I don't really have as many questions about. Um, he played almost 20, 29 minutes a night for a Gonzaga team that went to the national title game, a Gonzaga team that, yes, there was a lot of talent there, Coach Mark Few is, is one of the best coaches in all of college basketball. So it's not like Jalen Suggs was lacking anything, but what he brought to the table, that intensity, that competitiveness, that willingness to do whatever it took to win games from that lead guard spot. I don't think Gonzaga would have gotten this far without Suggs. I, I really don't. I think Suggs was the biggest difference maker all year for that team the spirit that he played with, the leadership that just exudes out of him at all times. I love everything I see from, from Jalen Suggs. Like to me, Jalen Suggs is one of the top guys in this draft class that I would want in my locker room. There are a few other favorites that I have from, from that perspective, but Jalen Suggs to me is like at the top of the list. And I've said this all along. If you're looking for a leader in this draft class, if you're a team that just you think you lack leadership or you need to continue to add to the leadership on the court as well as in your locker room, you look at Jalen Suggs, you want to take him. And if, if I was a general manager and I passed on Jalen Suggs, I would lose some sleep at night because 
while he might not have as high of a floor or, or, or a ceiling, really ceiling, when, when you're looking at the other three guys above him, at the same time, he has a really high floor that I'm comfortable with, and I think he's still going to keep improving from that floor. Uh, maybe not the, the uppermost echelon of athlete in this draft class or in the league, but still a very good to borderline elite athlete, dual sport guy, played quarterback in high school, um, was a dual threat quarterback. So you know that that combination of speed, vision, and toughness, you know that that's all there for him. And he had a good season in college. He averaged 14 points per game, five rebounds a game, four and a half assists per game, shot 50% from the field, stole the ball almost two times per game, was in a really aggressive point of attack defender and someone who took pride in his defense. So again, that's something else that exudes leadership as well. Like, I don't need a point guard or a guard to be this fifth otherworldly defender, but can you pick somebody up at half court, guard at the point of attack, and really just set the tone for that team defensively from you, you know from, from the backcourt? Can you give me that at least? And Jalen Suggs gives me that in, in spades. Um, was in the 73rd percentile in total offense, 84th percentile in total defense. 97th percentile in isolation and I think that really showed itself later as Gonzaga went into the tournament because at times he really was the only guy on that team who could create his own shot so that definitely bore itself out more in the tournament um 93rd percentile in cuts where where, where some of the case falls apart was that he doesn't have an elite jump shooting game i think in time he's going to be a very good jump shooter off the dribble at least creating looks for himself he's not an elite catch and shoot guy that's definitely one of his weaknesses he was only in the 39th percentile in the country on catch and shoot looks shooting just under 30 percent on those shots he only shot 22.2 percent on what synergy would classify as a medium shot so he doesn't have the full mid-range package but he could finish around the basket. He's a tough competitive guard, was in the 97th percentile scoring off runners. He shot 64% on those looks. He can finish around the basket, like I said. Um, he can knock down open threes when he's given enough room. The main questions for him, besides some of the mid-range scoring and some of the shooting, is he a high-level enough pick-and-roll creator to play the point guard position full-time in the NBA? I think he's going to get there. I think he's a lot more comfortable scoring out of the pick and roll than he is distributing out of the pick and roll. But I think that's something that can be developed over time if a team is willing to give him the keys as a lead ball handler. And if he doesn't do it right out of the gate, I think that's ultimately fine because he's going to contribute in so many other areas on the floor. If he's more of a complementary guard next to a better lead distributor, I think he can excel in that role as well because of how competitive he is defensively. It's not like he's a 6'6", 6'7", guard, but he's 6'4", and he's built well enough um, as a two-guard. So I think that would also be a perfectly fine spot for him as well. But yeah, he just does so much for me in so many different areas. And I love the off-the-court stuff. I love the mental makeup. I love that he had some of his best moments in the biggest games. Like, that all screams um, potential top-tier talent to me. So I don't quite think he's an MVP caliber player, but, like, the most popular comparison for him is Drew, Drew Holiday. And if you're telling me I'm going to get Drew Holiday in this draft class if I take Jalen Suggs, I'm definitely drafting that guy because especially in the playoffs right now with the Milwaukee Bucks, you're seeing how valuable 
um, having a, having a guy like Drew Holiday in. So that's why I'm not going to get off Jalen Suggs' bandwagon by any means. I'm firmly on it. I've been firmly on it since the start of the year. I think I even valued him preseason higher than general consensus. I definitely had him as like a top 10 level guy. And then he took a huge spike after Gonzaga's first few games. But the majority of national consensus had him outside the top 10. They had him in like that 11th or 12th range. So definitely should be higher value than that. And I have him as such. So those are the top two tiers that I have. Those four guys have definitely set themselves apart from everyone else that we're going to talk about today. The next tier would be tier three. So these guys that I would value as like near max to max guys, definitely like starters. So like first through four on a championship level team or like a playoff team, like they're occupying one of those first through four positions. They're not like just the fifth guy in the starting lineup. They're not like the spot starter, six man type guy. That will be tier four, which I will get into on the next podcast. But these guys, like I can absolutely see all, uh, an outcome where all of these guys are starters on really, really, really good teams in the NBA. Now, these guys, as as anybody in these tiers, they're they're not ranked. I'm not ranking these guys on like a big board system. I've categorized them out into tiers based on really where I see them being um, after the rookie contracts are up when they're looking for an extension. That's really how I tried to build out this tier system here. So again, not ranking order. I'm just going from start to finish how they're, they're on my spreadsheet. So first guy in that tier three I have is Alper and Shengun. And one of the most divisive prospects in this entire draft class. I said it on social media before I started recording this podcast today. I'm sick of arguing about Shangun. You either love him or I won't say the word hate, but like you dislike him enough to not have him in kind of like that that upper tier type of, of prospect. So like you don't have him as like a tier three guy that you're looking at like lottery to like, I don't know, mid first round. Generally, a lot of those people are having him, you know, after like pick like 17, kind of like an on. You, you don't value him as much. I, I don't see a ton of in between. You either have him like six through 10 or 11, or you're not really valuing him as much till you get like deeper into the first round. I'm clearly on the love side of the spectrum. I've been there for, for quite a while. I've sung his praises on multiple podcasts that I've appeared on as a, as a guest, uh, as a guest, not necessarily just mine. His production level for a really good Turkish league as an 18-year-old is absurd. He averaged 19 points per game, nine rebounds a game, shot almost 65% from the field, 81% from the free throw line, uh, 1.3 steals and 1.7 blocks per game. That's ridiculous. You know how many guys I have on this list who have averaged over a steal a game and over one and a half blocks per game? It's him. Out of these three tiers, it's him. That's it. He doesn't have the highest stock per game, so that's combining the two. That's a good metric that a lot of evaluators like to use. But um, being equipped enough to be able to play passing lanes as well as protect the rim like, he's the only guy on the list. That's it. So when I hear all this talk about there are these big, big, big question marks with Shen Goon defensively, 
I'm watching the same tape as everybody else, and I don't, I don't, I don't see big question marks. Do I have concerns about him being switched in, in pick and roll sets or having to defend in space on on some of these guards and wings that can get past him because he doesn't have these um, very high level feet where he's moving laterally and keeping everybody in front of him? Like, yeah, I do have some of those concerns. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying those concerns don't exist, but I think a lot of them have been overblown truly overblown um i have him listed as as 610 that's been a popular measurement that that that's gone around i think um when i was listening to Corey and albert's podcast the draft act Corey had specifically talked to, to mike schmitz who was stood next to alperin and schmitz told him that he's not bigger than 69 like he's 69 so fine i'll i'll roll with that too so he's 69 but he's 235 to 240 pounds somewhere in there like that's not small that's a big human being, and you see it show up on the film all the time. He's not getting moved in and out of the post. He's not getting outworked. He knows how to establish post position when he's on offense. He's constantly either getting that post position or he's drawing fouls when he's trying to get to that post position, and he's going to the line where he's knocking down 81% of his free throws. Like, this is somebody who's already learning the craft behind drawing fouls as a big man. And that's one of the reasons I'm not comparing him to Joel Embiid, but that's a reason why Joel Embiid is so valuable as a big because he hits free throws and he gets to the free throw line a ton of times per game. That's a really efficient way for him to score points. The other big question mark about him is, is he too tied to the block? Obviously, he has excellent footwork on the block. He's one of the best post scorers I've evaluated in years. But what does he do other than score on the block? Can he stretch the floor? Because that's so important of a skill for, for big men nowadays in the NBA. And I think he can. He only shot 19% on very, 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 very limited attempts this past year in that Turkish league for, for Besiktas. But at the same time, you see all these videos of him kind of like pregame. Or there, there was even really one clip that stands out during a game where he hit like the step back three. But like it... Shooting looks natural to him, whether it's um, shooting from the mid-range off of like a quick catch and, and, and a pop, whether it's a turnaround shot from working out of a post move, whether it's an open shot from three. Like there's nothing to me about the shot that throws me off. I think it's going to translate. And if I'm getting a guy who can score that effectively in the post, um, who really handles the ball well, um, for again, for somebody his size, can can make plays for others, can get involved in like high-low passing as a big man. I love seeing stuff like that. That tells me that he can play next to another big potentially if somebody um, drafting him wants to play him with a more quote-unquote better rim protector. Fine, I think Alp can definitely work with a guy like that, although I personally would want to see him as the lone big, and then I would want to stretch the floor around him to take more advantage um, of some of that playmaking that he brings to the table. And obviously clear out the paint for him to let him go to work in the post. But he has these other skills to the point where he can mesh well with other players. And like, I, I've used the comparison all along for him as Domanus Sabonis. There's definitely a world where he's better than Domanus Sabonis. Can he reach like Jokic level? I mean, I'm not going to say he's definitely going to get there, but at the same time, Jokic was a second round pick. And I think if, when you were drafting Nikola Jokic, I think it would have been crazy for you to say that, like, yeah, this kid was definitely going to be as good as Arvidas Sabonis or possibly even better. Like, Arvidas Sabonis was considered the best 
passing big man and one of the better all around big men, along with like a Bill Walton, for example, for, for years and years and years. And think that Nikola Jokic could surpass that and become an MVP level player. If you would have said that at the time, I think you would have been looked at as crazy. So I don't mind being looked at in the same light at all when I'm talking about Shangun. Like, I'm not going to put a ceiling on this kid. I agree with John Hollinger. I think he's a special, special, special big man talent. And I think you have to value him as such. And I really think he's in play for me um, for five and on. There there are a few guys that, I, that I've kind of favorited in like that five to five to six or seven range. Shangun's absolutely one of them. Next is on the list is Franz Wagner. The Michigan forward. Some people like CJ Marchesani over at over at Roll Call on the Steppy, and some people like him really, really, really love Franz because they see a lot of statistical um, statistical comps with somebody like a Mikhail Bridges, who Mikhail isn't a high level first or second option on a really good team, but he's right there in that third to fourth range and can do enough things on the floor on both ends to warrant the playing and the developmental time to get there, to be one of those key contributors on like a potential championship level team. Franz definitely checks out well statistically in a lot of those areas. Um, so he averaged 12 and a half points per game in college, six and a half rebounds per game, three assists per game, 48% from the field, 34% for three, almost 84% from the free throw line. Another guy who contributed 1.3 steals and one block per game. So he at least averaged more than one in each of those statistical categories, 88th percentile in total offense, 81st percentile in total defense. So this is another rare one. So out of all the guys that I have here for tiers one through three, there was only one other guy to be above the 80th percentile in both of those total categories. The other guy is Moses Moody. So we're talking about very rare company there in terms of efficiency level on both ends of the floor. Um, 73rd percentile is a pick and roll ball handler. That really sticks out to me. That's interesting for somebody his size, like 6'9, 6'10, 220. Um, 94th percentile in post-ups. That's also really intriguing. 90th percentile off screens, 93rd percentile off cuts, 76th percentile on putbacks and transition scoring, respectively. Um, and the passing numbers, 97th percentile in isolations, including passes, 99th percentile in post-ups, including passes. So what does all this tell me? He's a very well-rounded player. He can contribute in multiple different areas. I just don't know if he's ever going to be like a first or a second level option on a really good team. But if, he, if all he is is a role player who competes and offers versatility defensively and definitely doesn't sink you offensively, just might not be a top-tier creator but he can certainly convert when looks are created for him i mean that's definitely a guy that you have to take in the lottery and there's absolutely an argument that you take that guy in the top 10 i think it really depends on what you're looking for as a team are you looking for somebody in the lottery to create better um for for himself to be more of like that third third guy isolation type shot maker on a really good team or are you just looking for somebody who checks a lot of boxes with size and can compete and, and offer um, value in, in a lot of different areas? And I definitely think that there's teams that are going to be looking to answer and fill a need in that second question. That's why Mikhail Bridges was valued so highly when he was drafted. That's why he was technically the 10th pick and then swapped out to Phoenix. But like that's why he was a top 10 level guy. I valued him higher because I think that going back to college, 
Mikhail Bridges was a better shot maker off the bounce, and that's finally started to translate more often this year and during the Phoenix Suns' great run that they're on right now, especially in the playoffs. You've seen him make a lot of big shots off the dribble, not not even just from distance, like mid-range pull-up type shots that people really question if Mikhail had when he was coming out of college. I don't think that Franz is that level of jump shot creator, but he just offers you value in so many different areas that it's it's hard to argue with anybody about his draft case, especially when you factor in that as a sophomore, he was still one of the younger players in, in, in the country. He's only he's only 19 years old. So how much better can somebody like Franz Wagner get? Well, I, it's tough to say the answer to that question. I think probably the highest ceiling that I can see for him if he does develop more of that off dribble craft and becomes a much better shot creator, like it's not out of the realm of possibility. He could be like a Gordon Hayward type player. Um, so similar size, the, the, these big, big, big wings. Um, Franz isn't the same level of athlete that, that Gordon was at, at his peak before some of these injuries have really taken their toll. But if you're telling me that like Franz Wagner could be like a Gordon Hayward type, with the same athleticism sort of that like Gordon's at now, and he becomes that level of shot maker off the bounce and, and um, offensive type engine. Cause at times Gordon Hayward can be a primary initiator and create offense for others as well as himself. Like if that's the level that Franz can get to, then yeah, he definitely deserves to certainly be in this tier and he might even have an argument to be in, in a tier above. So that's why I think I've come back around on Franz a, a little bit. I don't know if I'm definitely drafting him top 10. There's a lot of other intriguing talents here that we're talking about today, but I'm not going to knock anybody for having that level of grade on him. I think he's, he's very intriguing at his size with his blended skill set, um, and, and he can really be an interesting player to monitor over the next few years in the NBA. Jane Springer, Tennessee guard. Best measurements I have on him, 6'4", 202 pounds. Close to a 6'8 wingspan, so almost a plus 4 wingspan. Again, shooting splits, awesome. Almost 47% from the field, almost 44% from three, 81% from the line, 1.2 steals per game. That's awesome. I love it. 20.9 PER. Awesome. 67th percentile in total offense, 90th percentile in total defense. He has a pretty safe floor as a guard. We know that he can do certain things well off the ball. We know that he's capable of hitting jump shots, catch-and-shoot looks. He can hit three-pointers. A lot of his shot creation was definitely in question when he was in college, particularly in, in different isolation sets, etc. I mean, 12th percentile in isolation scoring, 16th percentile in, in scoring out of pick-and-roll sets as the ball handler, 13th percentile in isolation sets, including passes. 25th percentile in jumpers. Didn't even categorize in the runner category to get a percentile rating, but he, he hit those shots at a 28.6% clip. There, there are some questions regarding what Jaden Springer can do with the ball in his hands off the bounce. It's kind of like a, a, a lead-type creator, right? But even though he wasn't efficient on a lot of those shots, the confidence that he showed hunting those looks is there. I was impressed by it all year, just the confidence part of it. 
I think mechanically, he definitely had some questions throughout the college season. He would lean back on a lot of those mid-range shots. I didn't really see him get to his bag in terms of like a runner. That's something I think he's going to have to develop from the ground up. But then you watch some of the Pro Day film that came out the other day. And his mid-range attack looks a lot better. And I mean a lot better. He looks a lot more balanced taking those shots. He's a lot more upright. He's even more, he was even more confident doing that in a workout setting than he was during the year. And I know, I know it's a workout setting. He's not going up against another team. He's not playing in a live game. But just seeing the mechanical improvements on those shots, that speaks a lot to me. That means he's been working hard. You talk to anybody about him, he, he's, a, he's a really hard worker. He comes from a basketball background, so that's also important to me. He's not going to be afraid of the moment. He has all of the confidence in the world to be a scorer. And again, he has that safe floor where you know he can do enough stuff off the ball offensively. And defensively, I see no holes in his game in terms of guarding other backcourt players. I don't think you're going to ask him to guard up. I think you're going to ask him to guard either another one or a two. But whether it's on the ball, off the ball in the perimeter, I, I don't see any holes in his defensive game. That's probably the safest thing that we're able to project for him right now is a lot of his off-ball defense and, and on-ball as well in the backcourt. So really safe guard prospect in my eyes. I don't see as many questions as other people do that have him as like this late first-round guy. I think he's really safe. But some of the upside definitely requires a little bit of projection and imagination. I'm not, I'm not going to argue against that whatsoever. But I'd rather bet on somebody like that who I know has the confidence and the willingness to not only improve, but also actually hunt for and look for those shots and be able to take them than, than, than the other end of the spectrum. So that's, that's really just comes back to personal preference for me, but I'm, I'm a big Jane Springer guy. If you don't want to take them top 10, that's fine. But if you let this guy fall to the twenties, I think it's a borderline crime. And, and I said that on social media too. So we'll see what happens with him come draft night, especially if he, if he picks up some of that draft stock working with teams in different workouts. Jalen Johnson, 6'9", 210 pounds. Really interesting statistical profile because everybody questioned, was he going to be able to shoot the ball? Could he shoot the ball? 52% from the field, 44% from three on unlimited attempts. 63% from the free throw line, 1.2 steals, 1.2 blocks per game, 25.7 PER as a freshman playing had roughly half the season for Duke, or actually not even half the season because he also got hurt um, during those games where he played as well. There's all the questions about him pulling out of school, what happened, what was some stuff that happened off the court even going back to his high school days. I don't really want to get into all that on this podcast because I don't have any answers for that, guy. so I'm sorry. Um, it's not really my place to, to speculate on all that. The best that I can do right now is evaluate him as a basketball talent. So he was in the 69th percentile in total offense, 21st percentile in total defense, 19th percentile in isolation scoring. That's a red flag. And I've kind of talked about that on other podcasts, especially the draft act with, with Corey and Albert. When I was on their show, we did a Jalen Johnson breakdown. They had me on for it. And he's not like this top tier creator prospect yet. I think he can get there, but that's probably not what you're asking him to do a lot of 
in his rookie year. And this, this really comes back to when he's engaged and he recognizes what's going on on the floor, given his size, his athleticism, his strength, his ability to finish around the basket, cut off the ball, can't open catch and shoot jumpers when he has enough space to do so. Like there is value for him being on the floor as a rookie, but he's also going to take away some value at the same time because I don't think he's a good basketball player yet. I don't. And, and it's funny because the whole intrigue behind him when he was coming out of high school was he could potentially be this, this lead playmaker or initiator from like the forward spot and be one of those jumbo playmakers that everybody seems to be looking for in the draft nowadays. Like that's not the vibe I got from him at Duke at all. I think he he's definitely needs to learn how to better play the game on both ends of the floor, especially defensively at times. He looks like one of those ball hawking uh, type defensive playmakers where he's going to swat your shot into the stands. He's going to play a passing lane and then use that to get out and transition, go up for, for a really awesome athletic finish and transition. But then there's other times where he actually has to play legitimate defense, has to switch on to others, has to defend in space. And he just, he, he looks lost because he doesn't recognize fully what's going on. And that's not to necessarily insult him by any means, but that's, that's just the dead honest truth. Um, and then I also come back to that he can score in different ways offensively, but he's not a creator. All to, he was in the 99th percentile, ironically, in the catch-and-shoot shots that he took, 59% catch-and-shoot. But when you look at the inverse of that, um, shooting jump shots off the dribble, he was in the first percentile in the entire country. There's no zero behind that number. He was in the first percentile, shooting 9.1% on those looks didn't register enough attempts on what synergy would consider short or medium shots um, to be classified in those types long shots ironically again 99th percentile 53 percent on those long shots so that's like 17 feet and out so the majority of those were created for him catch and shoot looks that's something that i think he needs to get more credit that he can do his jump shot isn't broken but he has no way to comfortably step into a shot created off the bounce and, and, and get a good look. He, he does not have that in his game right now. I don't know when he's going to get that in his game. If he doesn't, then I got to be honest. If, if he never gets that in his bag, he never develops his IQ in terms of how to process the game at a high level on both ends, then we're doing a lot of projection here, a lot of make-believe projection, and I'm having him potentially a tier too high. And that's just being honest at face value. I think that he's going to figure a lot out. I think he has the talent to figure a lot out. And that's why I'm going to bet at the higher end of a projection here and have him in this third tier. But he also has a surprisingly low floor. I, I know Albert definitely agreed with me on that when I was on their podcast. Um, that he has, he could potentially have a surprisingly low floor. I'm not taking anything away with that from that. I agree. So he's definitely someone to watch develop over the next like two or three years to see how good of a player he can be. James Booknight, Connecticut guard, 6'5", six, 6'8 six, and a quarter wingspan, eight, almost 19 points per game, six rebounds a game, almost two assists per game. Shot 45% from the field, was definitely one of the better guard finishers 
in the country, scoring in a variety of ways, using the 84th percentile in isolation looks, um, 82nd percentile in handoffs, 98th percentile in cuts, 87th percentile on, on putback scoring off an offensive rebound. So Book Knight's best at this point when he's able to step into a shot or create something when he's able to get a full head of steam to the basket off of a cut, off of a handoff, where he can quick turn a corner, use his athleticism to his advantage, get somebody off the bounce, and then look at scoring that way from like 15 feet and in. That's really where he's best at right now, or that's at least where he's proven he's at his best at right now. Um, not exactly a high-level passer or creator. We we kind of talked about that on our last pod with, with Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mavs Draft, when he was talking about he wants to see Book Knight just get a hold of creating in very simple situations, not even necessarily a lot of like pick and roll scoring or creation by any means, but just getting him involved in really simple sets. Obviously the swing skill, everybody likes to use that phrase nowadays. So I'll use it too. The biggest thing for me is obviously the jump shot. Um, he was in the 28th percentile overall in jumpers shooting under 30% on those shots. He was in the 11th percentile on catch and shoot looks. Um, and then he was in the eighth percentile on what Synergy classifies as a medium range shot and the 30th percentile in long range shots. So you go back and look at the film. You look at some of the workout film that's out there right now, some of the pre-draft stuff he's been doing of late. He has isolation creation mechanics. The mechanics are there. I just think he has to continue to build confidence in those shots and keep working hard at his craft because right now you're not giving him the ball as like a first or a second option in in, in a lineup certainly not in a starting lineup maybe in like a, a a second unit but you're not going to him with confidence giving him the ball to be like this lead shot creator and say here the floor is yours go out do what you want go just go get us a bucket any means possible He's going to be valued more as an off-ball type scorer early on. If he can improve his catch-and-shoot game, that would be awesome. And then from there, as he gets more game reps, as he can develop while actually playing NBA minutes, that's when you'll start to see some of those other things take over for him. So I think in time, he can be a really high-level creation guard on multiple fronts. It's just it's not going to be right away. Uh, my comparison for him for a while now has been... Um, a, a juiced up version of Gary Harris because obviously he's a much better athlete than Gary, but Gary also scored in, in a lot of the same ways in college, struggled with some of the same things in college, has gotten a lot better at those things since he's gotten in the NBA. And then he's obviously been a competitive defender. And I think that Book Knight can be the same, um, the same or, or, or close enough to it level of defender in the backcourt. So Book Knight, I, I've come back around on him. I definitely value him as like a top 10 level guy. I think that all the projections for him going to the Orlando Magic with either the fifth or the eighth pick, I definitely see that coming to fruition. Um, and I think that he could be a really solid backcourt main, be able to learn under somebody like Gary Harris for, for years to come um, and, and then develop into a nice backcourt partner for whoever the Magic choose to value as their point guard of the future. Right? That's Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, if ultimately Fultz still ends up being the guy. I think that any one of those guys can take advantage of Book Knight's strengths. And then um, when, when Book Knight does get to the level of being a creator by himself, then he could give some of those guys a little bit of rest on, on the offensive end. And he'll be able to, to go to work in time. It's just going to take a little time for him to get there. 
Jared Butler. My guy, Jared Butler. It's been a rough few weeks for for, for the Baylor guard uh, with, with all the health stuff going on. And I, I say this every chance that I get. Um, I, I really wish nothing but the best for, for Jared, Jared Butler as he's figuring all that stuff out because I feel like I'm on an island with this level of a point. There are some others that I know, like, like Stone Hansen over at Upside Swings who are high on him, have him as like a top 10 guy. I, I really think he, he's a potential star in the waiting as long as everything checks out for him health wise, because just he, he doesn't have many weaknesses to his game. The only real weaknesses I see to his game lie in what he doesn't have just because of his size. He's only, he's only six, three um, doesn't, doesn't have a lot of bulk to him. I think has enough on him to definitely compete in the NBA. And I think he'll get stronger as he keeps developing in the NBA. But really other than that, Look at his shot profile. He shot 47% from the field, almost 42% from three, 78% from the free throw line, two steals a game, so he competes on defense, um, almost 60% true shooting percentage for a guard. That's really high. Really, what, what doesn't he do? He was in the 79th percentile in total offense, 72nd percentile in total defense. The only real weak mark shooting-wise that I can find for him um, in terms of like short shooting, and, and shooting percentage around the basket, you want those numbers to be a little better. And then he was only in the 44th percentile in isolation. But he was in the 98th percentile in spot-up scoring, 74th percentile scoring off screens, 79th percentile off handoffs, 67th percentile off cuts, 70th percentile in transition. So that's five marks, five important marks where he was 67th percentile or above. 44th percentile for isolations. That's not even the worst mark that you can see from, from a guard. You want, to, you want that number to be higher if you're like drafting him top 10, but that's not even the worst mark I, I, I can see from some of these guards. Um, 85th percentile in pick and rolls, including passes. So not only can he score out of pick and roll sets, he also got much better distributing out of those sets. That's something that NBA teams wanted to see him improve upon. Um, 94th percentile in jumpers. 50th percentile and 40th percentiles respectively and runners as well as around the baskets. I mentioned that those are two weak po points for him. 98th percentile on catch and shoot looks shooting over 51% on catch and shoot shots. He can work on the ball. He can work off the ball. He plays with an excellent pace. He's a really good stop and start guard. He can score essentially from all three levels. I suspect that he will get better finishing at a higher percentage around the basket because there are plenty of clips, examples, that show that he can finish through contact. He knows how to contort and use his body to get into the defender, either draw a foul or be able to finish through that contact. And then more of the jump shooting, 93rd percentile on medium shots, 90th percentile on long shots. So what weaknesses does he really have? And then defensively, just being a backcourt defender, he competes at the point of attack. He has really quick hands when he's playing one-on-one -on -one with somebody, can, can get you a steal when you need it. He's, he's just a really, really safe guard prospect. There's, there's, to me, there's really not anybody else like him in this draft class. And I've said this many different times, not a direct comparison, but when I saw Donovan Mitchell coming out of Louisville, I looked at 
all of the parts of his game that I saw example of or what the numbers said about him. And I said, what is this guy? How does this guy fail in the NBA? I didn't see him failing. I had him as a top 10 guy. I had him right at that 10th spot. I had him, I guess, too low. Or when, when I was doing big boards back in the day, I definitely had him too low because he's like a superstar now in the NBA. I don't think Donovan Mitchell's, I mean, uh, I don't think Jared Butler, excuse me, is going to be a superstar. But I think he really can be a star level guard because of the amount of value that he provides on both ends of the floor, essentially, no matter what he's doing. He's a high level communicator, very smart young man. I just don't see him failing in the league. And, and sure, there are guys with, with more upside than Jared Butler that you can argue taking over him. I'm not going to argue against necessarily a lot of those high ceiling cases. Those players pan out to their highest level ceilings. Who am I to judge on someone drafting a guy like that over Jared Butler, who doesn't maybe have as quite high as a ceiling? But I value, I value guys who I know are going to contribute in multiple different ways from the rookie year on, who can still improve in other areas, round out their game. And then obviously communication off the court, leadership, those things are all important to me. That's why I really value Jared Butler. That's why I have throughout this entire 2021 pre-draft prospect uh, process, and I'm not getting off that bandwagon now. So that's where that's where I'm at on Jared Butler. That's where I'm going to remain. And, and like I said, I hope he gets more healthy. Isaiah Jackson, Kentucky center. Yes, I'm labeling him as a center because I think that's ultimately what he's going to be in the NBA. Um Best measurements I have for him, 6'10", 206 pounds. Didn't put up a large stat line by counting numbers, 8.4 points per game, 6.6 rebounds. Um, didn't average an assist per game, was at 0.7. Shot 54% from the field, 70% from the free throw line. Obviously wasn't taking three-point shots. Still finished with a 25.3 PER for a freshman, which is still a really good number. Um, I would like the true shooting percentage to be higher than 58.7 only because he was exclusively taking two point shots. So as a big man, exclusively taking two point shots, I want that number to be definitely above 60. So he does have to improve offensively. It's not like he has, he doesn't have things he can work on. He's hasn't shown an incredible ton of evidence that he can shoot at all. Um, has a, as an interesting post game has a little bit of footwork and some craft to him can improve in that area as well. But what you're really asking him to be is an energy guy. You want him to run the floor consistently in transition. You want him to be able to finish lobs off pick and rolls. You ideally want him to be able to at least hit catch and shoot shots from like the mid range, like between like 12 and 17 feet. You want him to definitely have that shot. And then maybe in time he stretches the floor from three. And that's really the blueprint to the offensive value you want him to provide. Um, but again, he was, he, he still had a really good season especially defensively, 91st percentile in total defense. Um, you knew that he was going to do a lot of things on that end of the floor, and all of that all of that checked out. He was playing passing lanes, grabbing steals, another guy who was blocking shots on the perimeter. The, he's, he's one of the other guys I can really make an argument for in time. He could develop into somebody who can guard positions one through five. That's big. That's big time. Um, and then... Just given the given the evidence that we've seen, his shot mechanics look fine. I think his free throw shooting's fine. I think he's going to be able to stretch the floor and shoot jumpers in time. Maybe not his rookie year, but like by year two and three, I think that's actually going to be a part of his game. 
that that shows up. Um, but again, the efficiency just was not there. Fourth percentile overall in jump shots. Um, didn't register a percentile uh, on runners. Um, did finish 65% around the basket. So that's more of a higher percentage that I like to see in terms of finishing from a big man. But yeah, none of the other shooting numbers check out. So we know what Jackson needs to work on, but the defensive value that he can provide, being one of these switchable bigs, not getting lost on an island, can guard people in isolation, can switch, can be a pick-and-roll defender, can protect the rim. These are all things that Isaiah Jackson can do, and those bigs are just incredibly valued nowadays. I think he's a lottery-level guy. I don't know if he's definitely going to go in the lottery, but I, I would imagine that eventually becomes like a firm close and shut case because of how he's going to keep testing in front of teams, how he's going to work out for them. I, I definitely think that that's where he's going to end up. And yeah, he was, he was the most impressive Kentucky prospect that they had all year long. He was definitely the most consistent guy. So um, props to Isaiah Jackson. I think he's, he's worth a lottery pick and it's going to be really interesting to see how he develops, particularly offensively in the NBA in his first few years. Jonathan Kuminga, another G League Ignite guy that I have in this third tier. 6'6", 210-pound wing, big, strong, powerful wing. Has an NBA-ready body now. There's no question his athletic tools and his size are all going to translate to the league. Um, plays with a high motor, is very active. Again, another guy because he played the G League Ignite. I don't have a lot of synergy percentiles to go through with him, but... I'm not sure if I would want to see a lot of the numbers anyways, because if you're just evaluating him on the numbers, not necessarily on the tape, you're going to be disappointed. Um, he averaged almost 16 points per game and seven rebounds per game, almost three assists per game. So by just those counting numbers, he was very productive and he played almost 33 minutes a night for that G League night team. So they valued him. They used him frequently. They wanted to showcase him and, not not only did they want to call plays for him, but he wanted plays to be called for him. He wanted the ball in his hands. He wanted to make something happen with it. He wanted to showcase what he could do. So I like when a young prospect plays with that attitude, that demeanor. I absolutely do. Only shot 39% from the field, almost 25% from three, 63% from the line. That's not going to get it done. I'm sorry. 2.6 turnovers per game. Those are not good numbers for like a potential top five pick. Um, and it gets even scarier when you go back sometimes and watch the film and you ask yourself, what bankable skill does he have right now offensively that he's going to be able to lean into when he gets into the NBA? I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be all right defensively, not like top tier or anything like that defensively, but I think because of his physicality, because of the effort, the motor he plays with his size, his build, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be all right defensively, but offensively, other than like taking somebody off the bounce on like a line drive or like using a spin move to, to finish around the basket and he can, he can dunk and transition. Like other than those like really basic things that rely more on his athletic talent than necessarily his skill, what other bankable type of skill is he coming in with in the league? He's not a high level distributor. He's not a high level shot maker from anywhere outside of like five feet. What, what, what is he really going to bring? So I think, there's a chance he gets taken like top five and he doesn't play a significant role on an NBA team in his rookie year. There, there is a chance where a team boots him down to the G league for, for, for at least a little bit. And it was like, 
listen, we got to see you develop some of your other parts of the game before we're handing you more responsibility, especially on the offensive end of the floor for where we're at right now um, in the NBA. Now, there's also a chance he goes somewhere that's completely dearth of talent, like Oklahoma City. You saw how frequently they ended up playing Pokushevsky last year, and he clearly wasn't NBA ready by a lot of statistical metrics. He was the worst player in the NBA last year, but I think we all kind of knew that that would be the case if he got enough minutes because he just wasn't ready for the physicality and the speed of the game. He had some bright moments, absolutely, but overall, he wasn't going to be a high-level contributor in the NBA. I think that Kuminga would definitely be better than Pokushevsky, don't get me wrong, but I don't want to lay out this game plan for him that like he's going to be this first or second option for even a really bad team and he's going to propel that team to to different heights than they were initially expecting i think it's going to take him a lot of time to develop certain things can he become a better shot maker in different situations absolutely i don't think the mechanics are broken but he's got to be he's got to release that ball higher he has he has a flat shot it's one of the flattest shots i've ever evaluated from a prospect coming into the draft and his shot Reminds me of Dario Saric's shot from his early days in the NBA. I, I watched him enough in Philadelphia. That thing was as flat as a pancake. I see the same thing from Kaminga, and that's got to improve. That just has to improve. But his comfort level, again, being willing to step up and get himself involved in a lot of different situations offensively, I love to see that. I think he could be utilized as an interesting screener. On the wing, I think he could develop into a really interesting role man option in time as his vision gets better. He showed that he was a willing passer when his vision gets better and he's able to make higher level passes. I think beat him involved in, in pick and roll sets, be acting as like a short roll playmaker. I think that could be really interesting in time, but it's just a lot of projection we're doing right now with Kuminga. Um, I'm not arguing with you if you have him high on your board. He can do, uh, he, he's shown he has the capability to do a bunch of different things, but to have one of those things as like a bankable skill that he can hang his hat on from day one, I don't see it. So um, a, a lot of projection, but still worthy of top seven pick. Absolutely. Josh Christopher, guard out of Arizona State. Man, I've seen him all, I've seen him all over the place uh, on boards. I've seen him like top 10. I've seen him in the mid-first round. I've seen him in the late first round. Gaboni and Schmitz. I don't know if they still have him to this very day. Have him at 38th, but they definitely had him 38th heading into the NBA draft combine on their board. So he's been all over the place. 6'3", 6'4", guard. 6'9", and a quarter wingspan. Like to see that. 215 pounds. Good weight for a guard. Um, he scored 14 points per game for Arizona State. Almost five rebounds a game, 1.4 assists. Shooting numbers aren't great, 43% from the field, 30.5% from three-point range, 80% from the free-throw line. The free-throw number's great. The fact that he was aggressive, wanting to look to score inside, draw fouls, love all that stuff. Um, one and a half steals per game, really good number for a guard. Um, turned it over 1.7 times per game, but he's not, he's not a high-level shot creator. True shooting percentage, 52.9. That's pretty bad for a guard. We want that to be higher. Um, doesn't really blow me away in any particular category, synergy-wise, offensively, outside of transition scoring, which, again, he does play with a high motor. He loves to play the game of basketball. You saw that. That's the reason why he even participated in those combine scrimmages in the first place. 
He's going to give his effort, run out in transition, fill the lane correctly. Love to see that. But other than that, doesn't really have many high marks. The one I was surprised to see, because he wasn't involved in a lot of these play types, but when he got in pick and rolls, looked to not only score out of pick and roll sets, but pass. He was in the 86th percentile in pick and rolls, including passes. That's an interesting number to keep in mind for the future. Um, if he really does become this lead type of guard, um, lead type of option, I should say, not necessarily a point guard, but this lead type of offensive option who creates for himself at better efficiency as well as for others. That's a number to, to keep in mind um, and keep an eye on as he keeps developing. But uh, 73rd percentile on runners shooting about close to 46% on those looks. The jump shot numbers are ugly. They're not good. Do I like his mechanics? I like him off the bounce. I, I don't love his gather and then ultimately what leads to his follow through on like a catch and shoot shot when I think he has a little too much time to, to focus on shooting the basketball. I think he's much more in rhythm when he can kind of go to a step back or, or create something off the bounce. He has a really good handle. Won't call it excellent, but he does have a really good handle. He can definitely create space. He's a better athlete at the guard spot than people think he is. So I think in time, he can be a really good creator. But his jump shot mechanics need work off the catch, off set shots, all that fun stuff. He has a floater. He can create for himself. That's good. It'll be calling card type stuff for him in a second unit. But him being in a starting lineup right away out of college, I don't see it. I think he's definitely going to be a bench guard. Does he get into a starting lineup over time? Yes, because not only do I think he improves on some of those offensive skills that he's lacking right now that we talked about, but also defensively, he's a really competitive guard. He has the wingspan. He has the length. He can play passing lanes. He can be a hound defensively on an, on an individual level in the backcourt. In time, he could even step up as he continues to get a little bigger and stronger. He could step up and play some some threes defensively. Um, so I think he brings a decent amount of value on that end of the floor. But Corey laid out an interesting case that he's made on, on the draft deck already. That like if this guy fully develops into what he think he can be offensively, and you combine that value with what he brings to the table defensively, like why isn't he potentially the next Donovan Mitchell level guard? I can't argue against that. Christopher has a lot of good things going for him. Do I think he's going to reach that level? No, but I can't rule it out. And that to me is why I think he belongs in this tier three discussion when we're talking about near max to max level guys. Like if we're talking about guards who could explode onto the scene next year and definitely bring more value than we initially anticipated because they just worked that hard in the off season. They worked that hard in the summer league and, and, and training camp and all that fun stuff. And, they improve different parts of their game to be more efficient. Like Christopher's on that list to me, along with Jaden Springer. Like they're absolutely two guys that I can see standing out next year and bring more value than we initially anticipated. So that's why I'm going to leave him. I'm going to leave him where I have him in my tier list. I would absolutely take a long, hard look at him like late lottery to like mid first round because you all, you want to be star hunting as much as possible. You definitely want to be star hunting as much as possible. Um, but that being said, there there is a floor there that scares me a little bit. If he never improves the jump shot, if he never does some of those things, 
it's it's scary. It, it's it's definitely scary to think about. Hundred percent can't can't disagree with that. Josh Giddy, forward, Adelaide 36ers, play in the NBL, 6'8", 192 pounds. Again, were the best measurements that I could find for him. Really, really interesting guard, wing, forward prospect, however you want to classify him. I'll label him, I'll, I'll label him as a forward. I think that's where he belongs. I think he's more of a Joe Ingles type player than this like really big point guard than anything else. Obviously has great vision at his size, can make plays for others, averaged almost 11 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, 7.4 assists per game. Incredibly unique stat line. But, man, I don't know how he scores really effectively other than in transition and on easy line drives to the basket in like his rookie or, or sophomore year in the NBA. I don't see him being a high-level shot creator off the bounce. He only shot 43, almost 43% from the field overseas, 29% from the three-point line, 69% from the free-throw line uh, with a true shooting percentage of 51. True shooting percentage of 51 for like a 6'8", 6'9", wing forward guard However you want to categorize him, prospect is bad. There's no other way around it. It's bad. Um, I don't see him as a high-level finisher. I don't think that his touch around the basket is anything to write home about. I don't really think he has a mid-range game right now. If he is able to make some open catch-and-shoot threes, like he showed that he was able to do for Adelaide, especially later in the season, that's great. That gives him another area to add value. But um, if he's really only like this, this big passer, ball mover, like, don't get me wrong. It's not like he isn't adding value. He's creating something else for potentially a better shot maker on your team. But if he can't do enough for himself, that's where like some people are projecting as like this top five, top seven pick. I don't know if I have him there. I got to be honest with you. I don't know if I have him there. Um, so that's that's really a lot of where I'm at. On Josh Giddy, I'm not questioning his vision, his passing ability, all that stuff whatsoever. He's dropped some sick dimes in some 36ers tape that I've watched. But I really just question how much he brings to the table from an offensive and shot making perspective. And then defensively, man, he's been he has been burned. <laughs> he has been burned to say the least on some possessions. You want to talk about somebody who doesn't always do his best job, um, the ability to defend in space. He competes, he tries, don't get me wrong. It's not that he's not giving enough effort, but um, he's had some pretty slow feet in some possessions, uh, moving laterally, trying to contain guys in front of him um, defensively. So if you're positioning him as a guard, you really are the position on the floor who you can guard. That's why I would much rather match him up against like bigger threes or four men defensively. Let him keep filling his body out. Let him keep getting stronger and, and, and live with those warts. Try and potentially hide him, at least for now, defensively. Than being like, okay, you're a guard, you're a lead guard. We're gonna treat you like like Ben Simmons on that end. We're we're gonna be comfortable letting you guard other guards. And no, I would not be comfortable with that whatsoever. He's gonna get burned if you're playing him too far out from the basket. So um, that's that's where I'm at on Josh Giddy. Am am I fine with him going in the lottery? Yes, later in the lottery. So I think he's better valued as like a mid first round pick right now. That's just how I personally feel. Um, but but that's where I'm at on Josh Giddy. Jones. Texas forward, 6'11", 7'1", and three-quarter wingspan, 221 pounds. Really interesting big man prospect. There are some people like Bryce Hendricks who we've had on who are like in love 
with Kai Jones. And I mean, in love with him. Like they think he's, he has this crazy star level upside. Um, interesting statistical profile, 58% from the field, 38% from threes, almost 69% from the free throw line, true shooting percentage of 64.6. You love to see that 90th percentile on total offense, 68th percentile on total defense. Here, here's the thing about Kai Jones. I think as a center, if you're projecting him to be a center, I don't think you're going to love what you get because he was only in the 12th percentile finishing as a role man. He pick and roll sets. Um, wasn't necessarily a, a reliable post-up type player. Absolutely somebody who is at his best, he, he can catch lobs in transition. He can finish looks in transition. Matter of fact, he was in the 86th percentile in transition, the 78th percentile in putbacks off offensive rebounds. So he can be like a garbage type guy. But if you're looking for him to play like a traditional center role, be a heavy pick and roll man, or even like you can go to him in the post a few times, like that's not his game at all. That's, I don't think he's ever going to get that stuff necessarily in his game because a lot of role man finishing, unless he's with, an alley-oop maestro, like a Trey Young, a John Moran, you know, LeBron Shore, Throwman, whatever, like an alley-oop maestro. If we're talking about he's rolling to the basket, he's got to um, catch and finish through contact or finish around a big man off of like a, like a quick pocket pass or, or something along those lines. That's not something he has in his bag right now. I don't know if he's ever going to get there because I don't see his body filling out that way. I don't, I don't, I don't ever see him putting a lot of muscle and bulk on. Um, especially at his size, you have to be very delicate, very careful with, with how those guys fill out their bodies because you don't want them to put themselves in, in harm's way from an injury perspective. Um, so I don't think he's like a true center. There are times where people make really interesting projections. They're like, well, maybe he's like a really big wing, similar to how like you can say Evan Mobley is best as like a big wing at times. Well, maybe we can do the same thing with, with Kai Jones. Do you, do you want to do that? Because I don't know if you're going to like that argument either. He was in the 47th percentile on jump shots. Um, didn't register any kind of a percentile on, on runners. Um, catch and shoot, he was fine. 70th percentile, shot almost 38% on those looks. But all jumpers off the dribble. Sixth percentile. Again, no zero behind that six. Um, and then in the first percentile on what synergy would consider a medium shot. Those are not good numbers in terms of shot creation. So usually you want a wing to be able to create his own shot off the bounce or, or be able to get to like a mid-range spot and be able to convert at least some of those looks. To me, Kai Jones is much more of like a stretch four. He's a really interesting stretch four. Can sometimes masquerade as a stretch five. My comparison for him for a while, and I'm glad that Fran Fraschilla said this when he was on with Chad Ford, was, was uh, like a Chris Boucher. I've said that for a while. I think that that's an apt comparison for him, um, especially the Chris Boucher you're seeing now. If Kai hits that level of a ceiling, is he worth like a mid to first round to like late lottery pick? Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. But I think if you're projecting him to be something other than like a stretch four man who can do some interesting things attacking the basket off the bounce or, or attack in transition, be like an alley-oop guy, if you're looking for him to do other things, be like your traditional rim protector on defense, be able to guard big men in the post, like you're not going to get that type of value out of him. I'm sorry, you're just not. 
Um, and, and that's why some of this make-believe projection, some of this really theoretical projection scares me with Kai because I don't, I can't plant my flag on some of those islands and say with confidence he's going to develop into either one of those other two roles. Um, I'm going with a projection that I feel the most comfortable with. That's what I see him as in the NBA. And that's why I'm going to value him in tier three. I think that um, Chris Boucher, if Chris Boucher came out now and he was what he was, um, and like, I mean, would have been college. He was a senior, would have been still like 23, 24 years old coming out of college. Like if that's the type of player I'm getting now, and then that's what Kai Jones is, then like, yeah, that's like a near max type player. But not it's not a star i'm sorry i don't see kai jones being a star level prospect i can't get on i can't get on board with that he's really interesting to consider like 11 and on but i'm i'm not not giving him a top 10 grade keon johnson tennessee wing 6'5 185 pounds 11 points per game three and a half rebounds per game two and a half assists per game 45 percent from the field only 27 percent from three 70 percent from the free throw line did average 1.1 steals per game. Really competitive one-on-one -on -one defender on the wing. Um, strong build. Doesn't get scared by anybody. Um, definitely wants to impose his will on that end the best that he can. But, man, again, another player, when we want to talk about theoretical projections, he doesn't really rate out particularly well. Almost anywhere, to be honest. Um, I've seen some things on film that I really like to see, like, his decision-making with the ball in his hands. I think he does a great job of either doing something with it or getting rid of it. He doesn't hold on to the ball, dribble, dribble, dribble the hell out of it. Um, and, and then that leads to a bad decision. I think he's, he, he's, he's good at decision-making, but it's the efficiency of what comes out of those decisions when he chooses to create something for himself. He, he, he has a lot of work to do in terms of shooting the basketball. I'll, I'll put that nicely. Another guy, another wing who only shot, um, 51.9% true shooting percentage. That's that's a crappy number that, that needs to get better. Um, 37 percentile on total offense. I just praised some of his competitive defense. 46 percentile on total defense. He does not know what he's doing off the ball yet. Doesn't know, uh, doesn't have a clue what he's doing off the ball yet. And that's really the biggest, that's the biggest separator to me between Springer and Johnson as prospects. I initially started this preseason prospect uh, process as a Springer guy. Came around more on Keon Johnson when I dug back into some of the earlier film, and now I've I've gone back the other way, and I'm more of a Springer guy than a Johnson guy, because um, the 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 defensive part matters. Like a team has to make an argument for you. Like why do we want you on the floor? What value are you bringing to the table to be on the floor? If you're not giving me much offensively, if you're only able to do like the really basic stuff offensively. And you can't even give me much defensive value other than you're just like this crazy high-level athlete who had like 48-inch vertical. Like, that's great. But just because you're a high-level, elite-level athlete doesn't mean you're going to succeed in the NBA. We see that all the time. So you got to give me more skill behind that athleticism. Um, 48th percentile in spot-ups, 45th percentile off-screen, 16th percent off-handoff, 17th percentile in transition. That number pisses me off. Because... The elite level athlete that Keon Johnson is, you better be sprinting down the court in transition all the time, filling your lane properly, and looking to convert on easy two point shots around the basket. There's no reason why he should have only been 
in the 17th percentile offensively. It's not that Tennessee didn't get out in transition ever. They were one of the better teams defensively in the country when they were at their peak. That means you're getting stops and you're getting runouts. That's inexcusable for Keon Johnson. That has to improve in the NBA. But again, jump shooting, 33rd percentile in jump shots. Didn't even register a percentile for runners. Um, 27th percentile in jump shots off the dribble. Like, I understand why people have gotten lower and have soured on Keon Johnson. I, I get it. I have too. I really want to make an argument for him. But you just go back and look at everything, whether it's the tape, whether it's the numbers. There's nothing you can really hang your head on in terms of this clear-cut case like, he's this top seven-level prospect that I might have once projected him as. Like, there's there's little to no evidence left for me. I'm sorry. He can, he can develop better as a decision-maker. He has some interesting things that he can go to in like a post game, which is um, intriguing because that's not usually something defenses focus on or game plan around from like a wing or a guard. So that can throw some defenses off. There's nothing wrong. I don't think with the jump shot mechanically, I think he gets really good elevation on his jump shot. I like the way his mid range shot looks. I think that his catch and shoot three point shot can get a little better. Some of the mechanics behind that. Sometimes he rushes himself a little too much, but it's going to be a lot of repetition, a lot of work that goes into improving Keon Johnson. And I'm not sure he's going to be one of those guys that consistently sees the floor during his rookie year. He's going to need a lot of work. He's going to bounce between an NBA team and the G League. So if you're a team that has a great developmental staff who believes in his athletic traits, you like some of the things you've seen on film, you think that some of those warts you can clean up in a few years, then, yeah, I got no problem with you taking a chance on him. But if you're asking me to just give him an overall grade, what I feel confident in, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't get behind giving him like a top seven grade than I initially was and that I've seen other people like Gavoni and Schmitz give him. Like, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm, he, he's an intriguing prospect to take a swing on, don't get me wrong, especially when you're putting him up against cases of some of the other guys that I see as purely like role players. But... He's not this surefire contributor in his first two years in the league. He's going to bounce around the NBA and the G League. Um, if you have a developmental staff that you're confident in, that you can take a look at his game, pick apart some of the warts, develop those things over a few years and get him to where he needs to be, then, yeah, I got no problem with you taking a swing on him. But um, he, he's definitely going to need some patience. That doesn't mean that you don't take him with a lottery pick, but just understand what you're getting from day one. That's all I'm saying. Moses Moody, Arkansas wing. I mentioned earlier, he was one of the two guys that I'm talking about today who were 80th or above percentile in total offense and total defense, according to Synergy. 83rd percentile offensively, 85th percentile defensively. Um, averaged almost 17 points per game, almost six rebounds per game, almost 43% from the field, 36% from three, 81% from the free throw line. Love the percentages. They all check out. Steal per game, great. Love it. Whole nine yards. Um, really intriguing. Was only in the 58th percentile in terms of isolation scoring. Um, was only in the 25th percentile off handoffs, 30th percentile off cuts, 57th percentile off screens. Really intriguing, right? We have, we have this guy who's been labeled as like this 3 and D type wing. He works off the ball, no problem. You can stick him in an NBA lineup tomorrow. He's going to have a home. He's going to find a way to succeed. 
um, because also of the value he adds being 6'6 with an absolutely absurd almost 7-1 wingspan, which is fine. I'm not going to argue the defensive value whatsoever. He can guard multiple positions. He's very versatile. He works on the glass. Um, all, all that fun stuff. Not arguing with that whatsoever. But I'm questioning more of his offensive value from day one because I definitely think there's some areas where he has to I- improve in terms of his shot making. The outlier that I can't really pick out the best on film as to why he succeeds in particular in, in, in pick and roll play sets as a ball handler. I think the volume definitely contributes to it. He wasn't like high level volume in these sets, but 98th percentile in pick and roll scoring is the ball handler. And in the 87th percentile in those pick and roll sets, when you include passes, that's really interesting. So maybe he's not like, a high-level shot creator for himself. He's not an isolation-type player. He's not doing a whole bunch of stuff off the dribble in terms of shot creation, but if he can create for others when the screen's provided, or he can create for himself when the screen's provided, that's something. That's something that you can work with, and given how pick-and-roll heavy the NBA is with spread pick-and-roll, that's something that I definitely want to work with. But let's look at some of these numbers. So 71st percentile in jumpers. That's good. That's not bad at all. 16th percentile on runners. That's something he has to develop more as a wing. Absolutely. Got to have that in your bag nowadays. 45th percentile finishing around the basket. 53%. Not, not, not horrible. But needs to be better given his size, his length. Definitely needs to become a much better finisher around the basket. That comes back to touch. I don't think he has um, the best touch around the basket that's really hard to develop usually people don't develop touch but figuring out different ways to finish plays around the basket got to get better at that 63rd percentile on catch and shoot shots shooting 36 percent on those looks not bad good but not very good to elite like some people want to bill him as um shooting finishing on on catch and shoot looks and then the 58th percentile off the dribble 12th percentile on medium shots and 68th percentile on long shots. That's fine. So he he has like no mid range game to speak of whatsoever. He struggles at finishing around the basket. I get the whole catch and shoot argument. I get that he can hit open threes. I get the defensive value he provides, not a high level playmaker for others, but if he can't create a lick, in the majority of those pick and roll sets, once he gets to the NBA, in terms of he comes off that screen and he's able to play that defense from the mid-range, if he can't reliably create that shot or finish around the basket, if he takes like another stride or two, how much value is he really providing in those pick and roll sets? Are coaches going to put him in those sets? Probably not. So he's pretty much going to be exclusively played in the corners or on the wing as someone who stretches the floor. Is that is that fine? Sure. Are you definitely taking that with a lottery pick? I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that question. He was again, he's one of the younger players in the draft, so he still has plenty of upside in his own right. But if none of that other creation stuff comes around, what what value am I getting from Moody offensively that puts him over some of these other guys? Again, another guy who has a floor. But some of that floor is theoretical, and there's another portion of his floor that hits really low, 
and scares the hell out of me. So he has to bring that defensive value. He has to be competitive. He has to bring that value rebounding on both ends of the floor, scoring on putbacks, being a garbage bucket guy. He has to bring that baseline and then let the jump shot come around, be able to hit open threes. That all has to be there for him to play decent minutes like his first two years in the league. It's not. I don't see coaches trying to put him in any other more complicated play types. I don't see it. So really interesting ceiling if some of that shot making comes around given his 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 size profile but another guy i'm not as confident in as i once was patty barnes florida state forward a lot of you are probably out there wondering when the hell is nick going to get to scotty barnes well we're going to talk about him six eight prospect six eight forward prospect 225 pounds near a seven three wingspan um, the counting numbers don't say much at Florida State, 10 points a game, four rebounds, four assists, but Florida State always has a deep team. You know, Hamilton's not relying on freshmen to necessarily carry his teams all the time. He likes playing experienced guys. He likes giving them more minutes than the freshmen, so that doesn't surprise me. Did shoot 50% from the field. The jump shot's obviously a big question. He's not a high-level creator for his jump shots off the bounce. He was in the 18th percentile in isolation scoring. Um, was in the 57 percentile in spot-up scoring. That number's not bad, but it's not, like, great by any means. 79 percentile on cuts and 70 percentile on putbacks and 56 percentile in transition scoring. So those three categories, that's a baseline right there um, that, that gives them a roadmap to scoring easy buckets in the NBA. So you do like to see that. All of his intrigue is wrapped around his playmaking, his ability to see the floor at 6'9". Can he be a point guard in the NBA? What does that look like? He was in the 94th percentile in pick and rolls, including passes. So him being this inverted pick and roll type playmaker is obviously really intriguing for NBA teams. He was in the 76th percentile finishing around the basket. So if he whips himself off those screens and looks to score, he can finish around the basket when he gets there. Another guy who has, he doesn't have an, an elite handle by any means, but he has these really long strides where he can just naturally get around people. Um, and there's not really too much of a need to get in a lot of the, the shooting numbers. They, they are what they are. He's, he's not a high-level shooter at this point, like I said, but the mechanics aren't terrible. We've already seen him working on his jump shot during this pre-draft prospect process. The, the tape that came out from Schmitz the other day when he was at Scotty Barnes' workout when Barnes was shooting open three-point jumpers, I like it. I'm buying it all day long. like the form. I think he's going to be fine shooting open threes in the NBA defensively brings a ton of value to the table. Another one of those guys who I think could potentially guard one through five in time. I don't know how much of a five man he is. I don't know how comfortable I am playing him at the five spot. If he's a four, like a, like a playmaking type four man who can masquerade as like a lead ball handler for a team, lead decision maker at times, that's probably what his offensive role ends up looking like. Um, playmaking off of the short roll, doing a lot of the same things in the half court that Draymond Green does for the Golden State Warriors. That's obviously been a clean um, comparison type for him. The joy that he plays with on the court, you, you, we've heard Coach David Thorpe talk about that um, on, on some of his platforms. He's talked to me about that behind the scenes. He loves the joy that he plays with. He's he's throwing around the name Magic Johnson with Scotty Barnes. I'm not. I'm not going to that level. I'm not going to jump on that level of a hype train with him. But when you look at some of the other guys that he's going up against after like those first 
four picks. I don't have an argument if anyone wants to take him like five or on. He's he's definitely in that in that group with like an Alper and Shengun that I think that you got you gotta look at taking him um like, like, like five or six. Some some people have mocked him as high as three to Cleveland. Um he'd be a really intriguing fit for Cleveland. I'm not exactly sure how it would all work out if he's not stretching the floor reliably by that point. I don't know, but um he he doesn't have the cleanest fit to me in the nba but at the same time just given um his leadership his work ethic the joy that he exudes at all times on the floor or off the floor um and then his his iq his vision his physical tools i don't you you can't not take this guy with like one of the first six picks he's going to go in the first six picks that's guaranteed at this point Barring any like crazy industry, injury or like medical history or something we could see like that, I, I don't see him falling out of those picks. Tariq Cooper, Auburn guard. Best measurements I have for him, 6'1", 180 pounds. I'm not going to use the combine crap that came out. He's not 6'3", 6'4". Um, he's a smaller guard, but we already knew that coming in. 20 points. The other guy on this list who has scored 20 points per game as a college freshman or, or even in this tier. Um, and then eight assists per game. Shooting numbers aren't great from the field or from three, but he shot almost 83% from the line, did average a steal per game. You love to see it. Again, that 51.9 sure shooting percentage for a guard is putrid. That's got to come up. Um, 70th percentile scoring out of pick and roll sets with the ball handler, 86th percentile in spot up, 70th percentile in pick and rolls, including passes. Look, we know what the intrigue is behind Sharif Cooper. He has some of the best vision in the entire draft class. He has, to me, the best handle out of anybody else in this entire draft class. Like, his handle is as good. I got to go back to, like, Kyrie Irving when he was back at Duke to find a guard prospect with the level of handle that Sharif Cooper has. It's absolutely incredible. Um, really, what, what, what can he do from a playmaking perspective? Sees the floor incredibly well, can get anybody else involved at any time can make high-level dimes when he penetrates the defense. When he gets far enough into the teeth of the defense, he's figuring out a way to draw the foul, get the contact, and then convert from the line. Was not afraid to go to the line by any means last year. Actually surprised me, shot in the, shot 50% on runners, so was in the 85th percentile in the country. If the jump shooting comes around, if some of the workout film we've seen from him is the truth, and his jump shot's going to improve and be a weapon at the NBA level if he turns into a three-level scoring maestro, then he's another guy you can argue, like, pick seven and on, to be honest, if you need a point guard. Like, I I wanted to burn Sharif because I thought he was way too ball-dependent. That's never been a style of player that I've wanted to invest a high-level draft pick in. It's why I wasn't the biggest fan of Trey Young when he came out of college. But now you look what Trey Young's doing in the NBA because of his passing gift, because of his handle, his speed, his ability to get anywhere on the floor at any time. Even when he's not knocking down a high number of jump shots, he's still finding ways to get to the line, finish alley-oops out of pick and roll, distribute to others, whip the ball in the corners out of pick and roll. Sharif really compares favorably to Trey in a lot of areas. Um, and, and I've had to eat a lot of crow personally with my Trey Young evaluation. And I think I've learned from that. That's probably why I'm higher on Sharif Cooper than I initially was. I'm not going to discount this guy anymore, um, especially watching the film session that he did with Schmitz. I was really impressed 
with the bravado that he spoke with. Um, obviously, he's a really high IQ level player. He recognized a lot of things on film, even even before Schmitz necessarily got to some of those points. I love seeing all that. I loved hear love hearing his interviews. I'm sold on Sharif Cooper as a point guard prospect in this draft class. Some people are going to keep him in the 20s. He can fall all the way back to like 19 or 21. That's probably is his draft floor. I know Chad Ford likes to use that phrase a lot. His draft floor is probably like the Knicks pick him with like the 19th or the 21st pick. I think he could do wonders being a lead ball handler for that Knicks team, making everyone else better, taking the ball out of Julius Randle's hands a bit, letting Sharif play pick and roll offense with Julius Randle. I think that could be really fun. Um, some of the things he could do with RJ Barrett could be really fun. I like that fit a lot, but if a team wants to take a swing on him higher in the lottery, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bat an eye. He's a special, special passer, distributor, and ball handler. Trey man, Florida guard, six, four with a six, four wingspan. Not exciting, not exciting measurements. Little disappointing. He only measured it six, four, not six, five, but he's still big enough to be a lead guard. I was really high on this guy before he was a freshman at, uh, at Florida. I thought he could be the next deep shooting range, playmaking type point guard, like a, like a Trey Young or, or a Steph Curry or somebody like that. That didn't prove to be the case his freshman year. Had a really bad freshman year. Didn't mesh well with Andrew Nembhard running the point. Proved that he needed the ball in his hands a little more. Wasn't just exclusively this two guard who occasionally made plays for others. He is a pick and roll playmaker at, at, at his heart. He, he's a really good passer in design sets. One of the best, if not the best, pick-and-roll operator um, in this draft class, along with somebody like a Sharif Cooper. Average 16 points per game, almost six rebounds a game, almost four assists per game. 46% from the field, 40% from three, 83% from the free-throw line, 1.4 steals per game. All the percentages check out, 21 PER. Love it. 70th percentile in total offense, even better defensively. 90th percentile in total defense. If I'm getting that level of offensive playmaker and point of attack defender, I'm taking it all day long. Um, that's why I've also come up on, on, on Trey Mann and I've elevated him. Like I, I wouldn't bat an eye if somebody took him in the top 10 at all if they need a point guard. Same, same, with, same with Sharif Cooper, although you can make an argument that Trey Mann could be better um, in some respects than Sharif because he does have the ability to score from literally anywhere. Um, 53rd percentile in isolation, 50th percentile in spot-ups, so nothing below 50. Um, 53rd percentile in handoffs. Obviously, he shines a pick-and-roll play. 88th percentile is a pick-and-roll ball handler scoring out of those sets. 92nd percentile in pick-and-rolls, including passes. 79th percentile in all jump shots. 75th percentile on runners. Um, what can he do? What can he do creating a jump shot? 61st percentile in catch-and-shoot. 90th percentile in all jumpers off the dribble, 82nd percentile in medium range shots, 80th percentile in long shots. So if you need a lead guard who can create his own shot at any other time and still have the ability to get others involved, if you really just need a pure shot maker from that spot, you're looking at Trey Mann along with some other guys in this draft class. And being that he probably has the best physical profile in terms of size as some of those other guys, that I can talk about, like a Sharif Cooper, like a Jared Butler, like a like a Davion Mitchell, who I'll definitely get to on the next podcast. Um, he probably has the best physical profile out of, out of some of those guys. We're just talking about pure size and height. And then obviously he's a competitive defender. Uh, what really concerns me about Trey Mann is that 
I mentioned he's a really good passer in design sets. He doesn't have the same playmaking creativity out of design sets as you'd like to see from, from some of the other guys that I've mentioned. He was only in the 36th percentile in isolations, including passes. So if you get him on an island, he's probably going to look to score it and shoot it. He's not always going to look to distribute that ball to somebody else. He may not always see that play emerging. And that's something he's definitely going to have to develop as a lead guard once he gets to the NBA if he wants to be a lead guard in the NBA full-time and and definitely be able to take more advantage of those pick-and-roll stats. If you're a team that's comfortable playing spread pick-and-roll almost exclusively in half-court offense, look look no further than, than Trey Mann or even somebody like a Sharif Cooper. But if you're expecting a little more, a little more versatility on the ball, a little more experience, that's why I value somebody so highly like a Jared Butler because I don't see some of those other holes in his game. But – um, Trey Mann has a ridiculous ceiling as a as a shot maker from that point guard spot. Would not shock me at all if he came out um, in a few years. He's putting up like 18 points, eight assists per game on good numbers from distance. He's making shots from the logo. That the whole nine yards. His his ceiling is absurd. Would not surprise me whatsoever. That's why I'm going to value him um, definitely in this third tier if you need a guard. And last but not least. Isaiah Todd out of the G League. I bounced back and forth whether I was going to talk about him in tier three or Corey Kispert in tier three. I think a lot of you are going to be shocked that I have Kispert as a tier four guy. That doesn't mean I'm not taking Kispert with a late lottery or a mid first round pick over some of these other guys. But if you're asking me to grade on a projection, Isaiah Todd, man, 6'10", almost 220 pounds, seven, one and a quarter wingspan. Some of the stuff that he was doing on the move, shooting the basketball, making plays for others. One of the best athletes in the entire draft class. He really showed some skill in the G League Ignite that I did not expect to see. And if we're talking about guys with ceilings that are crazy to project, what value doesn't he bring to the table um, on both ends of the floor? Another guy, 6'10", very switchable, has, has the feet to be able to move laterally, keep up with perimeter players. What are what are you not getting out of this guy? To 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 be perfectly honest, um, he averaged 12 points a game for the G League Ignite, almost five rebounds, but he didn't play as many minutes as some of those other guys. Only 24 minutes a game, um, still shot almost 44 percent for the field on a lot of perimeter looks. Wasn't always driving to the basket or posting somebody up, so not as many close shots that you factor into that shooting percentage. 36 percent from three, 82 percent from the line. There's a lot to like. There, there, there just is. Um, we need to see the 53% true shooting percentage be higher. But if we're talking about like mid-first round picks where you just want to invest a pick in somebody with crazy upside and hope for the best, take a home run type swing, there's few players that are better with taking a home run type swing on than, than Isaiah Todd, somebody who's going to probably be there in that draft range. Um, again, we're, we'll, we'll talk about Corey Kisper on the next podcast. We'll talk about Davian Mitchell on the next podcast. That doesn't mean that I'm going to bark at somebody who takes those guys higher than some of the other guys I've talked about in this tier three. But if we're grading for projection, not only short-term value, I'm putting some of these guys in a tier three, and we're going to see what happens by the time these guys are at the end of not just a one- or a two-year period, but a four-year period when they're up for extensions. Um, that That's how I view it. It, it. Can Corey Kispert and Davion Mitchell make an argument to be in a tier three? 
Absolutely. Um, and, and, and who knows? Who knows? I may even revise this again by, by the, the top of the second podcast. And I may talk about those guys first and foremost because I think that I probably should have had them tier three. But is there a world where they don't get like a near max contract on their second contract because they're not providing as much value over the course of four years in terms of an upside than some of these other guys? Yeah, that world absolutely exists. So um, I'm going to leave some room open for, for debate on that. I'm sure that's going to be a hotly debated topic on social media when this podcast comes out. But I'm willing to have those conversations with people and, and, and maybe double back on a few points. But that's going to do it for this show, for, for everyone who made it to the end of this podcast. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this podcast. That would mean a lot to me. Um, if you don't follow us already on Twitter, at Draft Deeper, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Stay tuned for the second and third episodes of this tier series. I told you guys we were going to quite literally go in-depth and draft deeper on these podcasts. I meant every word behind that. Um, and, and we'll be mixing in some other podcasts along with this show. We got to get a finals preview out. I have a few other guests that I want to talk to um, along with doing these other tiers podcasts. So definitely stay tuned. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.